Well, it's great. It really is good to be with you. I just look around and see people whose paths I've crossed with over the years in various places. And uh, obviously my relationship with Andy and Rhoda has been one of the uh, significant relationships of my life. So this place has a particular place in my heart and in my prayers, I can assure you. And I, I get regular reports of what God is doing here. And it's just thrilling. But I haven't got time to talk about that because uh, we've got much more important stuff to talk about. And he's only given me 25 minutes. I can't believe it. He's only given me 25 minutes. Um, but that's quite generous, actually, because uh, when I first went to preach at the cathedral here in Carlisle, the dean of the cathedral rang me and he said, uh, Peter, he's a very nice guy. He said, Peter, our normal sermon length is 10 minutes. But he said, we've heard you love to preach. So we've decided to give you 12 minutes. <laughs> so I was at that cathedral, this cathedral, one Sunday. So about 100 people there, one service. 10 minutes, 12 minutes to preach. A couple of weeks later, I was in Sudan. And I was preaching at the Anglican Cathedral in Khartoum. Six services, all completely maxed out. And the dean, as soon as I entered, said to me, preach as long as you like. So I emailed the dean here in Carlisle. And I said, 10 minutes, 100, one service. Any, as much time as I like, six services, absolutely full. Any connection? So he emailed me back and he said, we pray regularly for cartoon." Great. Well, it's good to have an opportunity to talk to you on Pentecost Sunday. And I want to talk to you about the essence, the core of what it means to live by the Spirit or in the Spirit of God. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the core meaning of that for our daily lives? And I want us to go back into history, really, and see how this works out. What does life in the Spirit actually look like? What is the core of life in the Spirit? And we'll also look at the battle to maintain the core of the life in the Spirit in our daily lives. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Galatians, and we're going to have a kind of brief overview of the whole book of Galatians, which isn't bad in 25 minutes, you've got to admit. Let me give you the background. Paul, the apostle, he'd been to this area of Galatia and he planted a number of churches, new churches, pretty much like your church here, still a fairly new church. Paul had done that. He'd planted a number of churches in Galatia and things were going well. They were growing. They were enjoying worship together. They were enjoying fellowship together. Things were going well. And then some leaders came down from a big church in Jerusalem. And this was their message. You read about their message in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. You don't need to turn to that. Let me just read it to you. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. That's the main city of Galatia. And they were teaching the believers. Listen to this. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. So their message was, it's really been good for you to believe in Jesus. That's been very good, but it's not enough. 
You're not going to be saved just by believing in Jesus. Circumcision is the rite of passage into the people of God. So you've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses. You've got to keep the holy days if you're going to be really saved. Now, Paul is responding to that here in Galatians chapter 1. And he uses some of the strongest language you'll find anywhere in the New Testament. Paul is angry. He's angry about the message of these false teachers. Look at it with me. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel, no good news at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be anathema, let them be placed under God's curse. Some of the strongest words you'll find anywhere in the New Testament. Paul is angry. Why is he angry? These false teachers are adding to the work of Christ. They're saying that what Jesus did at the cross and what happened on the day of Pentecost wasn't enough. Good to believe in Jesus, good to have the Holy Spirit, but don't forget you've got to keep the law. Don't forget you've got to be circumcised and so on and so on. Paul is angry. In chapter 2, Paul, who's been away for about 14 years, goes to the great city of Jerusalem, the capital, if you like, of the Christian church. And he takes two people with him, and I think he chose these two people very carefully. First of all, he took Barnabas, and Barnabas was very acceptable to the church in Jerusalem, very acceptable to the church leaders there because he was a circumcised Jew. So they'd welcomed him with open arms. He was one of them. But they took another guy. He was called Titus. And he was an uncircumcised Gentile. Very brave thing for the Apostle Paul to do. What are they going to do with Titus? He's believed in Jesus. He's received the Holy Spirit. Are they going to embrace him? Are they going to accept him as a brother in Christ? Or are they going to insist that he gets circumcised, starts keeping the law, starts keeping the holy days, and so on. Well, have a look at chapter 2 and verse uh, verse 2. He talks in verse 1 about the 14 years break he'd had. And then verse 2, I went in response to Jerusalem, that is, to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I wasn't running and hadn't been running my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's the kind of passage you can just read over in a moment. But that's one of the most influential moments in the history of the Christian church. Here is Paul taking Titus, uncircumcised, into Jerusalem. Is he going to be accepted? Well, he's not immediately accepted. Paul tells us there's a battle, there's a fight, 
But Paul did not give in for a moment so that the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news might be preserved for us. When Titus walked out of Jerusalem, finally accepted by the believers there and still uncircumcised, that was a fabulous moment, a wonderful moment in the history of the Christian church. Now, if you take time this afternoon to read the rest of chapter 2, you'll see it moves from Jerusalem to Antioch. Peter's in Antioch, having a great time with the believers there. They're having meals together. They're Gentiles, of course. They're uncircumcised. But Peter's having meals with them. He's enjoying their fellowship. They're enjoying the Holy Spirit together. And then the Apostle Peter turns up from... Or the Apostle Peter, yeah, turns up. Apostle Paul, sorry, turns up in the city. And Peter immediately backs off. He stops eating with the Gentiles. And Paul is so courageous. He faces him head on. He said, what are you doing, Peter? How did we receive the grace of God? Did we receive the grace of God by keeping all these laws and rules and conditions? Or did we receive the grace of God through the Holy Spirit? And then he says this. If you can be accepted by God just by keeping the law, Christ died in vain. What was the point of the death of Christ? If you can just be saved, become a Christian by keeping certain laws and rules. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. You foolish Galatians. If you have a J.B. Phillips paraphrase, it says this, you silly idiots of Galatia. It's a nice paraphrase, isn't it? You silly idiots of Galatia, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by keeping the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, you're now trying to finish by means of the flesh. There's one of the great battles of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit wants you to live in freedom. So many people don't like that. They don't like your freedom. They want to bring you back into all kinds of bondage. So look at chapter 4. This is the absolutely critical portion of Galatians. Chapter 4 and verse 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. There's the heart, there's the essence of the Christian gospel. God sent Jesus to this earth. God sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus didn't die because of the power of the Romans. He didn't die because of the religious foolishness of the Pharisees. He died because of the will 
of God. It was at God's particular chosen time that Jesus came to this earth. He was born under the law. And he did that. God sent Jesus to do that, to redeem those who were under the law and to give us the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption. Let me tell you just a little bit about myself. I was uh, born into a wonderful Christian home. I, I came to know Jesus on the knees of my mother. Probably when I was about six or seven, I fell in love with Jesus. And uh, I can't remember a day in my life, actually, when I haven't loved Jesus Christ. I can remember many days when I haven't loved him as I should. But I can't remember a day when I didn't love Jesus. And then I got into a wonderful church, Hebron Church in Botchergate. And uh, they taught me the scriptures. Uh, they prayed for me. It's a wonderful church. But my parents were quite conservative. And this church was quite conservative in those days. Not so conservative now, but it was quite conservative in those days. And I grew up thinking this way. I grew up thinking, if I go to all the services I'm supposed to go at in this church, my parents are really pleased with me. They think I'm a fabulous son if I do that. And the elders, the leaders at this church, they, they really think I'm doing great as well. So I like to please people. I went to all the services that you were supposed to go at in this church. Now I was in my mid-teens, I met a very strange organization. It was called Operation Mobilization. Very strange organization. In those days, they used to have prayer meetings which went right through the night. So you would start praying at 8 o'clock and you would have breakfast at the end of the prayer meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I saw that if you attended those prayer meetings, the leaders of this organization really thought you were great. Especially if you stayed right to the end. So I like to please people. I was there right to the end. What had I become? What had I become? I become, according to verse 7 of this fourth chapter, I become a slave. I become an evangelical slave. And there are lots of these people around evangelical slaves. What do slaves do? When slaves get up in the morning, they think, now, how can I please my master today? What do I have to do to please my master today? What do I have to do to get my wages, my slave wages, at the end of the week? I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this. That's how I was living. To please my parents wasn't their fault. It was my misunderstanding. To please my church wasn't their fault. It was my misunderstanding. To please them, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And these false teachers from Jerusalem, they came to these Galatian Christians who had received the grace of God and the freedom of the Spirit and they said, it's good, it's good, but it's not good enough. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this if you're really going to please God. And I've fallen into that trap. And one day I was reading through, because I'd been taught, of course, all good Christians need to read the Bible every day, so I was doing that. One day I was reading through the Bible and I came to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7 and it transformed my life. I was 17 years of age. Peter, 
You're no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child. Now what does a child do when they get up in the morning? They don't get up in the morning and think, now, what do I have to do to please my father today? You don't think like that, do you? You know your father's pleased with you. If he's a decent father, I'm sad for you if you haven't had the kind of childhood that God intended you to have. A father who loves you and receives you and accepts you. I hope you'll find that fatherhood that you maybe haven't found in a human family. I hope you'll find that fatherhood in God. But you don't get up in the morning thinking, oh, what do I have to do to please my dad, to please my mum? You know they're pleased with you. Because you're the daughter, you're the son. You know they're pleased with you. And what I felt God laid on my heart to say to all of you guys this morning and to say to myself is I just long, I just pray that all of you will realize just how utterly and completely God is pleased with you. Do you remember at the baptism of Jesus? The heavens opened and God said, look at my son. This is my son. With him, I am well pleased. And I just want to say this morning, heaven is opening around us. And God is looking at you, daughter. He's looking at you, son. And he's saying, I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. It's not based on performance. It's based on covenant. God entered into a covenant when Christ died on the cross. And when you see that bread and wine in communion, you're reminded of that covenant. God's covenant was to love his people, come what may. It wasn't dependent on my performance or your performance. God's covenant, commitment, was to love the people for whom his son had died. Those people who by faith received Christ as their saviour. So life in the spirit, guys, if you really enjoy and you really understand the Holy Spirit, life in the spirit is a life of freedom. It's a life where you're no longer having to check, have I done enough? Was that quiet time long enough this morning? <laughs> have I been to the vineyard sufficient times to get the right points total? You no longer have to think like that. You are received, you're accepted through the gift of the death of Christ and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit is freedom. Now, that can be a dangerous kind of message, can't it? Does it mean you can just get up, get out there, do anything you like? What happened to me when I read Galatians uh, 4 and verse 7. So I'd been living this life of doing all these things. Did it mean that the day after I read Galatians 4, 7, I never did any of these things? Did it mean I stopped going to church? At that time, I was actually working in Stanix. So I lived in the center of the city and I lived in Stanix. And I was so into this slavery business 
that I used to get the bus to work every morning. And I used to give everybody on that bus a gospel tract. You remember what a tract is? It's a little piece of paper telling you about Jesus. I used to give everybody on the bus a tract. And I used to have this awful conscience all day at work if I hadn't given the driver a, a piece on the way out. Later, of course, I realized that most of the people on that same bus every day were the same people. And they were incredibly gracious every day receiving. They must have had a huge collection of these jolly things. Does it mean the day after I read Galatians 4-7, I no longer went to church, I no longer prayed, I no longer did evangelistic things? Of course not. Of course not. But it was totally transformative to realize that I didn't have to do those things. I got to the position where I, I wanted to do those things. God, I've understood how much you've done for me in Christ and how much you've done for me in the gift of the Holy Spirit that I actually want to do these things. I know I don't have to do these things. The work of Christ is sufficient. The gift of the Holy Spirit is sufficient. I don't have to do these things. But boy, I realize you've done so much for me. And you're doing so much for me through the work of your Spirit. I just want to do these things. So look at chapter 5. We're nearly finished, Andy. Don't look too worried there. Look at chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. And don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm, brothers and sisters, in your freedom. If you haven't yet found freedom in Christ and you're here this morning, come and talk to Andy or me or one of the leaders. We'll we'll tell you all about how you can enjoy freedom in Christ. And then you stand firm in it. And don't allow anybody to drag you back into slavery. But look at the kind of freedom that you're called to. Look at verse 13, chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, to please yourself, that means. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, that's the kind of freedom that Christ and the Holy Spirit give to you. It's not the freedom to do what you like, when you like, how you like. That's not freedom, is it? That's bondage. If you get up in the morning saying, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, that's bondage. Bondage to selfishness. You're absolutely bound by selfishness. True freedom is to realize that I no longer have to live for myself. God has accepted me in Christ. I'm his daughter, I'm his son. I don't have to prove myself. I'm free, free to serve. Free to serve God. Free to serve one another in the community. Free to serve a lost and broken world. That's the message of Pentecost. It was an absolutely incredible message in its day. And it's just as an incredible message today. The very core, the very heart of the message of Pentecost is that there are now a people in this world who are finally free. Finally free. Free to serve God. 
free to love one another. Free, as you've been hearing from this, uh, this day that you can have in the city, free to serve a lost world. My passion for you as a local church is that you'll always enjoy the freedom you have in Christ and you won't allow any person, any institution to ever drag you back into any kind of bondage. So, Paul sums it all up in the last chapter, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through the which the world has been crucified to, to me and I to the world. That's our boast this morning. We boast in the cross, the finished work of our Saviour Jesus and in the gift of the Holy Spirit that is being given and the freedom that we find in that gift. May God bless you and keep you free. In Jesus' name.